Futurecast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure I have the opportunity of presenting special guest Jahan Hamsazah show today, author of the Psychosilum Connection. Jahan has completed his dissertation on psychedelics in the Philosophy, Cosmology, and Consciousness Program at the California Institute of Integral Studies. His book, The Psychosilum Connection, Psychedelics, the Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution of the Planet, an Integral Approach, was published by North Atlantic Books and distributed in spring 2022 by Penguin Random House. Our guest earned his Master's in Consciousness and Transformation Studies from John F. Kennedy University and his Bachelor's from the University of Arizona with a major in Philosophy and minors in Physics, Psychology, and Mathematics. Aside from academic work, our guest has undergone several major trainings including graduating from the Hakumi Somatic Psychotherapy Program and training for years within the Mazatec mushroom tradition. He's assisted the Psychedelic Assisted Psychotherapy Certificate, training at ICIS for two years, and mentored at the Center for Consciousness Medicine. Our guest is currently a content advisor at the Synthesis Psychedelic Guide Training and works as a facilitator for legal psychosoma mushroom ceremonies in Jamaica with Atman Retreats. I'm so excited to have our guest on the show. Welcome to the show, Jahan. Oh, thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I'd like to say that as we go on our way, understanding all these spiritual traditions and mm-hmm. understanding plant medicine and looking at, for example, cannabis becoming more mainstream, the line of work that you're doing is on the forefront of another area that I think is going to be coming 
as like ripples in the water. And I wanted to ask you if you could explain to our audience what got you into this area of study. The short answer is it changed my life. I was a teen, I was suicidal, depressed, and an atheist, and it awakened me to a spiritual reality. It really showed me that we're all interconnected, that love's the guiding force, that there's an intelligence that pervades everything, and life is very meaningful. So there was a massive death rebirth of what I thought I was and the world was over the course of just a few hours when I was 18. And that kind of set me in the lifelong trajectory to focus on consciousness. That felt like the direct experience of what is actually real. And I went to study it from many different routes, from an evolutionary route. I did physics for three years. And then from a psychological route, from a mysticism route. And then psychedelics for me have been the most intimate path. There's so many ways to study consciousness, including like meditation and tantra. But this is pretty powerful. Over the course of a few hours, depending on dosage and set and setting, everything can rearrange itself. The experience of time, the experience of the divine, the experience of us in the world. So it felt like the most effective way for me to live my life and try to help others and give them a safe entrance into this kind of experience. From your personal experience with psych- psychedelic mushrooms, for example, mm-hmm. let's say someone in our audience is listening to this and they've never dealt with anything that's psychedelic and they've never even done mm-hmm. cannabis. What recommendation yeah. do you have somebody in our audience listening to us right now talk about this topic if they're skeptical about it and they really have concerns about either doing it themselves or allowing others to do it? Yeah, research is pretty conclusive. So we have about 20 years looking at psilocybin right now since the 2000s. And before it was illegal, there had been many studies done on it. And so we found in the clinical research is 65% of people in the right setting setting have a classical mystical experience. 80% of people with treatment-resistant depression, meaning all the other therapies and medicines haven't worked, 80% of them heal. 80% of people with near event of life anxiety, that they're so petrified because they've been diagnosed with a terminal illness. 80% success rate for alcoholism, which is the highest we have. And then 80% for nicotine addiction. And so it's pretty conclusive how healing they are. And in the right setting setting, safe. They're physiologically safe. That being said, if somebody wanted to even start looking as this is a possibility, do a good deal of research, the more, like anything in life, the more you're going to approach it differently and see that these are medicines that have been used for millennia by other cultures. And it says a deep part of a human history. But that being said, the set and setting matters so much. And so first and foremost, I would recommend trying it with a trained professional. A therapist that's working in this area, a guide, somebody that's studying and did a lot of work in this. So they can lead you in the territory. They know how to set up the situation. They can attune to you in the right way. It's have, doing like the difference between doing therapy by yourself or with a skilled therapist. You're going to go deeper with the skilled therapist, right? So having a skilled therapist that knows this area doing psychedelic work is much deeper. Aside from a one-to-one kind of situation, a group ceremony is probably the next best. You don't get the individualized attention, but there might be 12 of you in a ceremony. It's like the retreats we've been leading. There's still somebody there to take care of the container. Traditionally, this would be like a shaman, a medicine man or woman. And then at the last case, because a lot of people don't have access to either of these. Socially, they just aren't connected to a guide or a therapist or a medicine circle or finance-wise, they're not. To help with accessibility, me and some friends created a free online training. It's at silohealth.co, so P-S-I-L dot C-O. And we created a free four-hour training just to help people learn how to sit for each other. Here's the fundamental just awareness you need so you people can get their cousins, their sisters, their brothers, their friends, somebody in their community that may not have access, maybe for financial means to find a skilled professional. Like most people can't even afford therapists. 
So here's a way to safely experiment with smaller doses. But if there's a high level of trauma, just like with anything, it's best to work with a skilled professional. I referred to it as plant medicine earlier, and I believe that that's a good way of phrasing it. Is that how you would see it as well? Or this type of- Highly true. Yeah. They've taken on so many names, entheogens, which is awaken the God within psychedelics from Greek, from like my manifesting and then plant medicines. And I love them all. So the words play well with my system, but I think that's the, a, a very nice to noble orientation because that's how they have been seen as healing modalities or even some indigenous societies see them as plant teachers. Because with many of these, like the psilocybin mushrooms and ayahuasca and peyote, there's a sense that you're encountering an actual consciousness and an entity that talks to you and shows you things. So you're building a relationship with another form of consciousness that seems very wise and wants to teach you and help you heal. Your viewpoint on utilizing mushrooms to help say, open and expand your own consciousness and your understanding of it. How do you think that that they could be used in that way to help somebody? Yeah, tremendously. So over the last research for the last 20 years, the personality trait that the clinical studies have found that have changed the most is that known as openness. And openness correlates with intelligence, with creativity, with adaptability. Even think of the, the opposite is closeness, which is like a rigidity of thinking and ego. So this, the more you do it, because it flexes your boundaries of who and what you think you are, even just for a few hours, but that might be the first time that's ever happened or happened for years, right? And so it allows a new flexibility in your thinking and in your feeling and gets you out of your bubbles, whether you're identified with a religion, a type of nationalism or a certain kind of philosophy, it opens your mind. Maybe there's much more to me in the universe than I could possibly understand, right? It does expand us definitely. And it makes us more open to overall life experiences. What would you think would be the greatest struggle someone would have as they embark on this journey utilizing psychedelics if they've never done it before? What would you think that Mm -hmm. one of the Mm -hmm. biggest struggles would be? No, great question. And it's easy for me and often for a lot of people just to talk about all the amazing gifts and benefits because 80% success rate is pretty high with any kind of medication or therapy. So it's amazing. That being said, the actual experience itself can involve a lot of struggle and pain and fear. And that's why you're actually doing like the deep psychological trauma work. Like people don't necessarily approach therapy thinking, oh my God, I'm going to have a great time every time. Like you're sitting there healing through wounds, through grief, through attachment stuff, through abuses that you've had. And as that heals through the therapy, you feel more whole and more resilient. It's the same with the psychedelic work. And so if there's repressed material, high likelihood, it's going to come up to the surface. That's why it's nice to have somebody skilled or trained with some level of trauma work. But as that content emerges and it's integrated, there's more wholeness and there's more reclamation of power. So it's they're not fun. Once in a while, it's fun. It's amazing. But I'd go in with the approach of, I'm going to do some deep work. Let's hope that it's easeful. But it, the compounds, most of them are safe. Biologically, they're safe. Your brain is fine. Your body's fine. That being said... I'm not, I wouldn't say that they're emotionally safe because if you're not in the environment or with somebody you trust, it can also be traumatic because everything's intensified. So there needs to be a deep sense of safety while using these medicines. I always like to use the analogy Alice in Wonderland. Like when she takes, when they eat the food and they expand and they get smaller and all that. I think like psychedelics to me, at least from what people have indicated, is you can take like a mental holiday from it. You can actually have a staycation 
and have a profound experience equivalent to if you go to some mystical area and get a chance to spend a day there. And I wanted to ask you from your personal experiences, do you share that sentiment? Do you think that when you have a good experience with this, it's the same conscious experience as if you went to the pyramids in Egypt or someplace in, in Chile or wherever, like a mystical spot? What would be your viewpoint on that? No, totally. One of the harder parts of psychedelics, let's say the mushrooms, you never know what's going to happen in each trip. And so a lot of times you might want the staycation and sometimes you get it. And other times from while you're processing early childhood stuff. So you don't quite know what's going to come up, but it does give an element of being rebooted many times and refreshed. And so there's things that I've experienced on psychedelics where the spiritual experience, but also the visionary, like the actual visuals are more impressive than anything I'm going to find out in the world. The world's worth to explore, but people regularly have the experience of seeing the Great Pyramids in Egypt or the Aztec pyramids on their journeys, or all of a sudden everything turns into like you're inside of a temple. And so the best art I've ever seen is on psychedelic. It's like high-level CGI happening right in front of you. So you're, you can leave it inspired, refreshed, renewed more often than actually taking a trip, which is beautiful. But this is like a deep trip. That's like into the realm of imagination and possibility. I also think understanding it within the context of, you, you just said artwork. How about mm -hmm. music? How oh, about wow. the, how about utilizing music as people have described like their musical experiences when they go to festivals, for example, in the festival culture, that mm -hmm. when they use psychedelics there or mushrooms there, it enhances mm -hmm. their overall experience. And I wanted to ask you if you could talk about that, even with these ceremonies you've done or you've mm -hmm. indicated. The mm -hmm. spiritual element of, I consider music a healing modality, just like mm -hmm. artwork. when you marry them in with these other experiences, it enhances that overall quality of whatever it is someone goes through when they utilize this. So I want to see what did your, what's your viewpoints about incorporating music or some types of music into ceremonies, festivals, whatever it is for someone's experience mm -hmm. when they try to find their journey inward. Yeah, totally. Even in the ceremonial setting, music's really important has always been a part of a lot of the indigenous traditions. And that being said, I'm a big fan of the recreational use. So aside from ceremonial work and therapeutic work, the recreational setting like festivals have been some of the most healing and growth oriented experiences of my life. Because you're around community, you're being a human connecting, you're experiencing joy. And for anybody that even the word recreation is like tapping into recreation and creativity, for anybody that may have a doubt on the impact of creativity and like music with psychedelics, just look at the 1960s. You have an explosion of new kinds of musics and sounds from rock to electronic across the movies. And then you have social activisms that arose against the war, women's rights, social rights in every way, economic changes happening. So definitely an expansion of consciousness that includes creativity. And for me, a lot of these, some of the highlights of my life have been dancing to music for hours because you can feel like this sense of just creativity moving your whole body with a deep intelligence and you get into the deep state of just flow and having that course through your body for hours is deeply healing so high potential here and festivals for most of the time provide a safe container there's a lot of support systems so they're a great place to explore especially on the lower dose range you do you think that my when i talked about this at the beginning of the episode how Cannabis has become more widestream and more accepted. That's going to help with the psychedelic movement becoming more accepted and utilized in medicinal and recreational settings across the country. What's your viewpoint on the time frame of how long that might take to, to catch on and become yeah. more universally accepted across the country? No, it's totally. Cannabis did a lot of the groundwork. 
people were fighting for over 40 years for cannabis legalization. And it's all the fear society have it. Things are going to be safe. Everybody's going to get addicted. It doesn't happen, right? It's going to be the same with psychedelics. There's just a lot of fear and a lot of paranoia. There's things to learn from the cannabis movement too. A lot of people I know that work in the field and had companies and farms and so on. The whole capitalist mindset really came in and financially destroyed a lot of that industry. People have been growing farms for years. All of a sudden, the market's oversaturated and everybody's losing their stuff, right? And so there, there's things to learn from that first go. But in the terms of psychedelic legalization, I feel it's pretty unanimous that we all see it's happening faster than any of us anticipated. So MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, has been working for 30 years to legalize MDMA. And it looks like it's projected legalization of MDMAs in 2024. So it's around the corner. And same with psilocybin. Because psilocybin got to ride on the coats of all the legal groundwork that MDMA had done. And so on a federal level, you're in the US, it's a couple of years, next year away. It's really going to be fast for medical legalization with prescriptions in a clinic. That being said, on a grassroots level, it's taken off quick. So here in Oakland, I spoke at court, we've decriminalized it. There's about seven different major cities that have decriminalized it. And Denver has legalized it and Oregon has legalized it. So they can actually start setting up trainings, have retreat centers, make it a professional regulated business. And so that happened faster than anybody of us thought. Even here in Oakland, they're like, we're going to give this a shot. Maybe it'll take years. And within three months, they pulled it off. Because the culture has changed. The science is so grounded. Everybody's, it's like people are suffering. And this is a, an effective route to healing. Especially when you have all of us caged up for three years. So many people had to go through the <laughs> pandemic being stuck in their house for a certain amount of time. I'm assuming that there's a regained, a renewed appreciation for journey inwards. Totally. Absolutely. And mental health, I'd say, is probably say the biggest epidemic we have. I think the World Health Organization says depression's the highest reason for disability in across the world. So suicide rates are growing up, mass murder things are going up, mental health with anxiety and depression's on the rise. And it's a product of the system and the culture we're living in where people feel disconnected, not belonging, disempowered, no opportunities. And this can help them find a deep sense of meaning, reclaim their inner power and feel connected to nature and the rest of the world. Over they felt hopeless. I don't know anything. Not to look. I love all the other methods of transformation, but nothing's close as effective. You're dealing with straight chemical changes in the brain that alter consciousness pretty instantaneously. You were mentioning earlier about if someone's in a negative viewpoint, you have counselors. You recommend having counselors or guides or advisors around the person. Is that similar to when someone talks about like when they get stuck in the rabbit hole, when they're trying to utilize mm -hmm. this and they're in a dark space and you try to talk them out of it so they're not stuck in it? Is that kind of like a bad trip? Is that kind of like the similar concept? Yeah, totally. I've had hundreds of journeys myself and did a lot of self-experimentation by myself. And I can no longer really encourage that at high doses because you can get stuck. I remember one journey where I was stuck for five hours in a hole and I would have been out of there in five minutes if somebody was there with me and be like, actually, dude, everything's okay. You're not really dying right now. You can move through this. And so what turned into a very traumatic experience for me could have helped me flow and heal and get a lot out of it if somebody was just there that was trained. And there are sensitive states of consciousness. They're, you're very vulnerable to feelings, to thoughts, and your physical body, you're really disincapacitated depending on the dose. So having somebody to care about you and then take you and hold you, is, is it's an important experience. It's a very important day. 
go all out and make it right. Create the right situation for yourself. What do you say to somebody who's really interested in wanting to engage in this and want to do it safely? How would you recommend they go about it? What steps should they take after listening to us right now? Yeah, there's some retreat centers and see the longevity of the retreat center. How long has it been around? How well it's qualified? The people working there, how well are they trained? Just like with anything that has the ability to make a lot of money, a lot of people just are entering the market. They may not have experience. I hear of a new psychedelic guy training every week. For years, it was just, there was one with Francois and all, and then there was the one that the first above ground started at my school at CIS. And now it's just, it's nonstop because it is the future of therapy. It's just that effective. There'll probably be a psychedelic center clinic in every major city starting 2024, 2025. It's that effective. Find a skilled individual, whether it's online or through a network. Most major cities have a psychedelic society. Go attend the meetings, go attend the talks, build community around this. The last resort is just do the training that we set. We're aware that a lot of the populations that have trauma are minorities on the lower social economic ladder and they can't afford therapy. So that community needs to heal itself, those. And so we put a free training out there. As far as I know, it's the only one that exists. So that's at the lowest tier. And other than that, it's if you can afford it or networked, find somebody skilled. Tell us about your book, The Psychosome Connection. I'm fascinated by it. I want to see if you can share what motivated you to write it with our audience and if you can describe it for us so that they're more aware of it. It was like the most meaningful thing I could do. Like it was an obsession. About five years of writing, but 20 years of synthesizing work. And part of the inspiration was from this idea put forward by Terrence and Dennis McKenna that was perhaps psilocybin mushrooms in our ancestors' environment that actually catapulted and expanded our consciousness to the level of awareness we have now. And all the research in the last 20 years has really supported this, including that psilocybin stimulates what's known as neurogenesis, the growth of new neurons. The brain actually physically begins to expand and grow. It quiets what's called the default mode network, the ego part of the brain, as neuroscientists call it, which acts as a suppressing function for the rest of us. And so when the default mode network quiets down, the whole brain hyperconnects. So the whole thing starts to light up more, stimulates what's known as spinogenesis, the re-enlivening of dendrites and increases neuroplasticity, the ability to change and grow. So just on a brain level, just to really anchor it down to physical reality, it's quite phenomenal. So this, along with archaeological evidence in the Africa savannas where we evolved, looking at historical texts from the Hindu traditions, from the early Greeks, and really knowing anthropology is pretty set on the first kind of religious rituals all humans have had is through shamanism people that worked with the environment, with the plants. That's a part of all indigenous societies, including our tribal roots as hunter-gatherer ancestors. So all the evidence really synced up that this is how we emerged. And I had to look at it also from an evolutionary standpoint of what are these mushrooms? So the larger body of mushrooms is known as mycelium. And mycelium is this large underground network that connects all the root systems of the plants and environment. Fungi is about 2.5 billion years old. The animal kingdom is about 500 million. It's five times older than all the animals. We've always on land been evolving on top of this living network that connects all the trees through electrical impulses and nutrients. And it seems to be about 70 million years ago, psilocybin evolved. And it's present in over 200 different species of mushrooms all around the world. And so the way to really see this is that we've been co-evolving in this living environment that's super interconnected our entire history, and that it's feeding nutrients and chemicals through us, including through the food, like mushrooms, 
And that's there to bring us to ecological awareness, to expand our consciousness, to creativity, to create more empathy so we can live in a greater equilibrium with the environment. So I see them as ecological regulators. So this idea for me was paramount because it fills these missing pieces of how did we get here as humans? It's still the best year I've ever come across. I had to defend this. I haven't found any retort around this. But it's also, I feel, our way back into deeper connection with the spiritual reality, with the planet, and overall just health on every level. When you look at the historical tradition of this stuff, how have you found societies historically have utilized the use of mushrooms and other psychedelics within their cultural fabric? Was it used in religious study? Was it a cultural thing? Was it intrinsic? What did you find from your own review of it? Just to extrapolate, if we just look at modern day science, where 65% of people have a mystical experience in the right set and setting. So for many of us, they can produce religious states. And so the idea that this was the very emergence of religions and spirituality itself, historically. So even the oldest religious texts are the Hindu Rig Vedas, about 3000 BCE. And they have about 120 limes talking about a psychedelic plant or fungi called Soma that connects one with God. And we start seeing similar stuff at the earliest religions. More modern day, we know about psilocybin mushrooms because the Mazatecs who live in Oaxaca and Mexico. And in 1955, a J.P. Morgan banker, Gordon Wassel, went down there with and had a ceremony with the curandera Maria Sabina and then wrote about it Life magazine in 1957. And that's how we became aware of psilocybin mushrooms. And the Mazatecs see themselves as descendants of the Mayans going back a few thousand years. And so they've been, they've integrated mushroom use their entire history. But something that's been more of my fascination recently that I'll keep moving into his work is 500 years ago, before the Europeans came, there seems to be about 72 million people living in the Americas, North, Central, and South America. This is very populated. People came here about 20,000 years ago. You had large level empires, the Toltecs, you had the Aztecs before the Mayans, the Incas. And there seems to have been widespread psychedelic use. So the Mayans left about 200 little mushroom stones. The Aztecs, when the Europeans came, they had been seen during their political ceremonies to be eating mushrooms. It was a big part of their culture. And so when the church found out about this, because it went very much against Christian dogma and ruling, they saw this as satanic and pagan worshiping. And they were, had the largest ethnocide and genocide in human history. So the temples burn, the languages are gone, right? So everybody's mostly in South Central America that speaks Spanish, like it's a completely different language from Europe. And they enforce Catholicism, right? That being said, you had a huge portion of two continents that were really psychedelically inspired. And because of diseases and sometimes through intention, about 90, 95% of the population died. So we're talking about the largest ethnocide genocide in human history. About 60 million people died about 500 years ago. So that was a tremendous loss of wisdom, of culture, of cosmology, of people living some level of harmony with their environment, probably through a lot of psychedelic use, which is the archaeological evidence shows all over North, Central, and South America. So we have a lot of case studies, and that's the largest scale one. And I think it's our job now because we have amnesia to go and retrieve the rituals, the knowledge they have that's largely put away. That's a tragedy in itself when you say it that way, because you think yeah. of a huge loss of our cultural and yeah. our traditions from yeah. that era, that part of the planet. It's just really tragic. I, wanna, I believe that when you go on your journey with this kind of a thing, you're really venturing through nature within yourself. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that statement? And think yes. in terms of its actual 
grasping our connection to what's natural in our lives and what's around us by going through this type of an experience within yourself and having the ability, having a guide or someone work with you, you're really reconnecting to your natural part of who you are. Oh, completely. You can call it the authentic self, a deeper identity. Underneath is like, I find like our deepest identity is like, we are love, which is a sense of unity, right? And that heals the missing pieces within us and it teaches how to act and show up in the world and what gives our life the most meaning. Like being a purpose is like an embodiment of love. And so for me, the I'll see it as like the apex of a human experience, whether psychedelics, meditation, whatever ways, the sense of unity, right? It doesn't really get bigger than experiencing a sense of oneness with the universe. But the universe is so huge, so there's infinite ways to experience unity, right? It's so creative. And so you can have unity with nature. You can have it with a partner in a kind of tantric approach with yourself, with the divine, with the landscape, whatever it is. And that seems to heal our sense of belonging, fills ourselves with seeing a sense of meaning and empowerment. It does. And we see that with the correlation with the brain state. It hyperconnects. And then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, my God. And with the sense of unity, everything starts to feel okay. Because so much of our anxiety comes from a sense of disconnection. And all of a sudden, you're like... Wow, like I am filled with love for everything because I, I am a part of everything. We've talked about historical tradition and present moment, we're talking about trying to legalize. Where do you see the future of this stuff going in the next five to 10 years, in your opinion? It's so exciting. For me, it's the greatest untapped resource on the planet because it directly changes consciousness and that directly changes everything from our thinking, our feelings, our actions, our systemic way we structure society. And so I see major ways where it can create a lot of innovation. Like I spent about 20 pages on my book, seeing the changes in technology and in science and philosophy because these psychedelics, about 20 pages in psychotherapy, 20 pages on economics. There's massive platforms of society that can shift. So there's been a lot of work, good work done that's showing like a lot of the 1960s and later computer revolution was because of psychedelics. It's pretty well known here in Silicon Valley. It's pretty widespread use, right? So we're talking about technical innovations and breakthroughs, I would say even moral, philosophical, systemic, engineering, and then also the experience of, I was an atheist before psychedelics. And that's been the most meaningful thing. I'm like, oh my God, there's a God. And we can call God whatever we want it to, but there's a sense that there's a unitive consciousness that connects everything. And so that was, that's, that was very healing for me. So it's going to come into society from so many routes, as we named the recreational route, the ceremonial, and something that's just gained a lot of legitimacy is the psychotherapeutic, because that's the framework we've understood here. And then our society that's really well acknowledges therapy. I'm just excited to see that we're making these kind of improvements in our lives by relying on plant medicine, expanding our understanding of it, and being more attuned to it. I think our society is going to utilize it in such a way that Everyone can benefit from it. It's not something you have to take or utilize, but if you're open to it, there's no harm if you are able to do it under the right circumstances. And that's why I feel like it's important to have someone like you on the show to not only talk about your book and talk about your meaningful work in this area, but to let people know that the stigma they have attached to this and attribute to it through the last 40, 50 years plus, it's exactly that. It's a stigma that needs to be overcome. And there are medicinal uses to it. And obviously people use it recreationally and spiritually and everything else. From my vantage point, meditation is real big for me. Breath works big mm -hmm. for me. I look at all these different healing modalities. And my podcast has been a vehicle to mm -hmm. showcase different types of healing modalities from different backgrounds and traditions. And that's why I was excited to have you come on today because I haven't really had anyone. I've had some authors talk about their therapeutic use of plants before, but I haven't had anyone who's actual practitioner come on that I can think of in, in some time. And 
I, I am really appreciative to have you come on and share your expertise yeah. today. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think the biggest thing, the hurdle is the stigma and bringing awareness. When Michael Pollan wrote his bestseller, How to Change Your Mind 2018, he thought there's going to be all this pushbacks from psychiatrists, from the medical establishment, therapists, and even law. And he's like, nobody fought back. It's pretty bipartisan. So even Texas, a very traditional, conventional state, is the first to do state funding for psilocybin research because it helps a lot with vets. I think it's 21 suicides from vets each day. Everybody's suffering. Everybody wants healing. So there's no opposition, but it's, it's changing the stigma. A lot of these fears are really out of hand. If done in the right kind of container, like within a community, it can be very beautiful and very healing. I'm all about showcasing people that can provide any type of healing modality that can mm -hmm. be tested, appreciated, explored, et cetera. And that's like where I feel from our vantage point showcasing this topic today was important. Let me ask you this. If anyone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to reach you? I, I have your information in my show notes, but I always like to make sure I give them the opportunity during the episode. So it's part of the audio for the show as well. Yeah, no, totally. My website's psychedelicevolution.org. And my book, The Psilocybin Connection, can be found on every platform. And it's also as an audio book, so you can find it in Audible. So it's pretty well accessible. And Something that sounds of an interest that your audience might like is the correlation between, I have found with sometimes the psychedelics and psychic experiences. For me, it's created quite a beautiful framework because it can give you this deep sense of intimate experience of our oneness, including how we're entangled in our minds, within our consciousness. And by doing so, then of course, it makes sense that thoughts can flow between us and other people. We're into that... The science is pretty set. Ecologically and systemically, we're interconnected, whether it's through physics, through ecology. It's easy for us to see. Yeah, and even economically, we're outwardly interdependent, interconnected. But the same is internally. I love that. So, yeah, deep empathic experiences where we can feel each other, we can sense each other's thoughts at times, or we can stay instead a flow with synchronicity where all of a sudden you can be such an alignment within a kind of Taoist approach where thoughts arise at the same time something's about to happen externally. So you have- what, I do all that. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I can so, imagine people getting in tune and becoming more aware just through those yeah. experiences. So I support that. Yeah, totally. That was a huge thing that shifted from my life earlier in my 20s. There was a lot of synchronicities and psychic experiences. But I think because of that oneness, it makes you more open and available to all the information around you, whether it's with yourself, other people in the environment. So it, it might be of for that angle, I know, interest for the people that are listening to your show. I appreciate that. I, I want to make sure everybody knows that I'll have the link for your book available in my show notes as well as your site. I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your background and experience in this. It's been extremely a great opportunity for me to uh, gain additional insight in this area that I think is very vital for our audience to know more about. No, thank you. No, it's a great to have you on. Thanks for welcoming me onto your platform. And I've really enjoyed all the questions. No, thank you. Thank you. Got it, bro. I want to thank Jahan for coming on the show today. He's the author of the book, The Cytosolin Connection. I will have the information in our show notes. I hope each of you gain insight from this experience of this interview today. Check out Jahan's information. Go to his website and check out this book. This is all about healing, guys. There's nothing here that you should look at with a certain level of disdain or negativity. I believe that with an open mind, you can gain a lot and open your perspective. Look at this stuff. There's been a lot of research in this area to show that it could really be therapeutic 
and it can be a transformational tool. I highly recommend it. Look into it. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode and stay positive because when you're positive, anything's possible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.